We're happy to make podcasts available for selected ed webinars for your listening pleasure. If you'd like to receive a CE certificate, you must watch the video recording. Recordings and quizzes can be found in the EdWebinar archives. Please visit home.edweb.net slash podcasts for more information. Hello, everyone. It is great to be here with you. My name is Julie Evans. I'm the Chief Executive Officer of an education nonprofit group called Project Tomorrow. I'm so excited to be here to talk about Speak Up for America's Teachers. You're going to learn a lot more about that in the next couple of moments. But I'm also super excited because my very good friend, Dr. Lou Young, is here with me. Lou, do you want to say a few words? Uh, just hello, everyone. So glad you're here. Excited to spend a little bit of time with you and with Julie today talking about the Project Tomorrow Speak Up work and the importance of student voice and teacher voice in the decision making that education leaders have to make today. So in, looking forward to the conversation. That's great, Lou. It's wonderful having you here. Uh, I'm super excited because, of course, we all know it's Teacher Appreciation Week. And so we have this opportunity not only to thank our teachers and to show appreciation for them, but as I'm going to be sharing here in a couple of moments, also a way to help them have voice, have agency, and the same for their students, to have voice and to have agency and to be part of new education decisions. Now, Lou and I go back a long way. Um, we are currently collaborators, schemers, let's say, on a fascinating project in Kentucky where we've been evaluating the use of mobile devices within um, communities in Appalachia uh, for six years now, uh, studying that impact, both from a teacher perspective as well as a student perspective. And Lou, I mean, it's great to see you here on EdWeb, but we were actually together just a couple of weeks ago because we hosted a symposium on our research. We did. That was a really fun day. April 11 in um, eastern Kentucky, uh, in central Appalachia. Always fun to get to spend time with you, Julie. And I, I like to think of us as co-conspirators. I think Even be better than schemers. That's better <laughs> than schemers. Uh, I think it's always really interesting to think about how this idea of voice for teachers, teachers having the opportunity to speak up about not just what they like, maybe what they are, are less than satisfied with, but also their aspirations. And the same for students. Give us just a, a, a thumbnail here, Lou, on why, why is that important in Kentucky right now? Yeah, thank you for that tease, Julie. We are um, engaged in a lot of deep listening in Kentucky and have been since um, 2020. Through COVID and now beyond COVID, we are um, committed at the state board level uh, under our commissioner, Dr. Jason Glass, to uh, deep engagement at the community level. And that's a two-way communication loop. We have to listen. We have to share. Um, we have to be open to the voice of all of the stakeholders in the system. And so our commissioner started with a series of virtual uh, listening tours because we were deep into the pandemic at that time and then has continued that up with through the practice of what we're now calling Kentucky United We Learn, which is Kentucky's bold new vision for teaching and learning across the state. And uh, embedded in that is a commitment to student voice and teacher advocacy and activism in the process. For instance, um, 
three of our four chairs in the United We Learn process are students, um, one in college, three still in high school, and the chair of the entire council is a high school senior. So um, that is more than a symbolic representation of how important student voice is in our Commonwealth right now. I love that. You know that sings to my heart, Lou. So thank you for setting us up with that conversation. Before we get too much into our program, we are right here in the middle of the week for Teacher Appreciation Week. Big shout out to any of our teachers that are here with us. It is wonderful to have you here. And of course, we have focused our program today around listening to your voices and the voices of your students. So just a little bit about myself as we get started. As I mentioned before, I am the Chief Executive Officer of Project Tomorrow. I'm gonna to tell you a little bit more about Project Tomorrow in just a couple of moments. Um, I, my background has been in terms of looking at research around how students are using technology in school as well as outside of school. In addition to that, what their thoughts are about the future of education. And the same for teachers and the same for parents and the same for district administrators. Project Tomorrow has been facilitating the Speak Up Research Project since 2003. And as I mentioned before, I am so absolutely thrilled to have my good friend Lou Young here with us. Lou, give us the formal introduction part of our okay. conversation today. Sure, not too fancy. I am, uh, what I would like you to know is that this is my 40th year in education. The first 31 in P-12 schools in Kentucky. I see a lot of my peeps over in the chat. I was a high school assistant principal, a high school Spanish teacher. We have German and French and ESL teachers with us on the call today, Julie. I'm now at the University of Kentucky, where I've been for nine years, uh, including the, the educator preparation program. So I see we have at least one student teacher on the call today. Yay for you. We desperately need you. Welcome to uh, the profession. And um, so at my research interests at the university, um, I run a center called the Center for Next Generation Leadership, and we promote deeper learning as a path to equity for every learner. And so we spend a lot of time around student voice and agency, empowering learners to own their own learning and to become more agentic over time. And I work closely with the Kentucky Student Voice Team uh, in that regard. So spend a lot of time uh, with young people helping them understand and helping us better understand their lived experience as students in P-12 schools. I'm delighted to join you. I'm a retired school superintendent uh, from Central Kentucky and um, see a lot of administrators on the call as well. So happy to share with you more about the work that we do here in Kentucky at both the university level and in P-12 schools. Thanks so much, Lou. And as I we mentioned before in our chit chat time, Lou and I have been, what are we calling ourselves now, Lou? Co-conspirators. Co-conspirators, right. Uh, evaluating a six-year mobile learning project in Appalachia. Okay, folks, let's jump right into this. The theme of today's program is Speak Up for America's Teachers. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about Project Tomorrow and the Speak Up Research Project. I want you to have the context, the background, the foundational information about our organization and the Speak Up Research Project. And then I have a special treat for all of you. I'm going to share with you a snapshot 
of our most current Speak Up research findings from the classroom. But then I also went back into the archives, that was fun, and pulled back up some comparative data. It's really the idea with that was to show how things have changed or conceptually how things have not changed over the last couple of years. Um, the bulk of our time today, though, is going to be spent in a, what I expect to be a really fascinating discussion about the importance of including the ideas and views of teachers and students in our discussions about the future of education. Lou is going to give us her perspective, again, as a former superintendent, as someone that's involved at the state level in Kentucky on education policy, and also is still continuing to work with developing our next great generation of both teachers and administrators. In addition to that, Tara Grant is with us from Radford High School in Virginia. Uh, they are a brand new participant in the Speak Up Research Project, and she's gonna give us, there's Tara right there, her perspective on these same questions as well. So we're really excited about this conversation today. As I mentioned before, folks, as we're going through this, I'm going to share some of the research data. Feel free to give your comments in the chat. My colleagues, uh, Michelle Green and Irene Spiro are here as well. They'll give you some of the other information that you need if you have some questions there. Once again, many thanks to our good friends, our Speak Up partner at EdWeb for hosting this for us today. So let me tell you a little bit more about Project Tomorrow. We are an education nonprofit group. We've been supporting K-12 education since 1996. Our focus is really on how to help school and district leaders develop new capacities through the translation of research into practice. Now, lots of people talk about research, lots of people talk about practice. We wanna talk about leveraging research to turn it into actionable knowledge. And we happen to come from a place where we believe very strongly that the voices, views, aspirations, desires, content areas, interest areas of our K-12 stakeholders can be a really important asset for stimulating change in education if used effectively. Now we focus our research and program work on new learning models, particularly around digital learning with an eye to what are those student outcomes as well as what does it mean in terms of teacher effectiveness. And that includes the Speak Up Research Project. So the Speak Up Research Project is something that we developed in 2003 because we wanted to help school and district leaders have easy, convenient access to the views of their stakeholders to inform their plans and programs. Every year since 2003, Speak Up has helped school and district leaders learn more directly about the views and values of their stakeholders and how to translate that into actionable knowledge. So first and foremost, Speak Up is a service offering that we provide totally free of charge to any K-12 school or district that wants to use our surveys to collect feedback from your stakeholders. In addition to that, we take all the nationally aggregated data and every year create a series of reports, infographics, briefings, presentations at conferences. Many of you may have uh, attended the same conferences I go to. Maybe you've even come to a Speak Up presentation. That would be great. We also every year do a congressional briefing where we inform 
the federal policymakers, as well as the education association leaders about the trends in um, what we see in education and digital learning. Speak Up is a large-scale research project. Since we started this in 2003, we've had feedback from over 6.2 million K-12 stakeholders. Now, we have designated today as National Speak Up Day for America's Teachers. So we put out a call to action earlier this month for teachers to come on to our site and share their views. That has wonderful impact in terms of informing federal policies and programs from a teacher perspective, as well as at the state level. In addition to that, we're encouraging school and district leaders to one, have your teachers complete the Speak Up survey, but also to provide opportunities for your students, the parents of your students, your principals, your own staff to participate as well. We're going to talk a little bit more about this at the end of our program today. I thought I would start off in our conversation today kind of to set the table for our conversation or our discussion about the importance of student and teacher voice to share with you a little bit about the headlines that we've seen coming out of our Speak Up research over the past three years. Most notably, are there some things that we have learned over the past three years that can inform our perspective on the future? So I'm just gonna to touch on a few of these here. Um, important to understand that, of course, we are seeing a much greater awareness of social justice issues, especially as they relate to education and equity. We also are cognizant of the fact that um, we're seeing much more interest in understanding the social, emotional, and mental health needs of our students, of our teachers, of our parents, of our families, of our entire community. I'm also really impressed with the fact, and we see this coming from our research data, that there appears to be some new momentum, some new energy around a broader definition of what constitutes effective learning. And that is, I think, really positive in terms of thinking not only about the new role of teachers, but the new role of learners in the environment, and what does that mean in terms of supporting new learning models. We know that parents have new demands and expectations for education, most notably coming out of the pandemic when they had that kitchen table perspective on what was going on in their child's education. For the most part, what we hear from parents is they really like the new transparency into their child's education and want to have, in fact, more communication with their child's teacher, with their child's school principal, with their district as well. One of the things that, of course, we were all aware of during the pandemic was the need to make sure that students had access to technology outside of school, since in many cases they could not go into their school building for the traditional learning environment. But we also have come out of this experience having a much broader understanding or knowledge about equity. It's not just about giving students a Chromebook and a hotspot and saying, solve that problem. In fact, both Lou and I are involved with the development of a new national educational technology plan that's underway from the U.S. Department of Education. And in that endeavor, we are looking at equity of access, 
equity of usage of technology in the learning experience, and equity in terms of the, the design of learning experiences for students. So this equity conversation is much broader than maybe many of us thought previously. And then finally, there's this, uh, because we have so much more technology in the hands of our students, our teachers, our staff, it is so much more embedded in our instructional process. We unfortunately are much more vulnerable to cyber attacks in our education system than we ever have been before. And Project Tomorrow has been doing some really landmark research on those issues also. But here's the most important lesson that we've learned over the last three years. The pandemic and the necessary shifts and disruption in K-12 education have changed our schools forever. Now, I'll be honest with you folks. As I said, I share this research quite a bit. Some people get it already. Some people are there. Some people need a little bit more time. But let me share this with you. 89% of our district leaders across the country agree with this statement. They are in that place where they're understanding that even though there is that pull of nostalgia to go back to how things were before, it's really not reasonable or logical to think that can happen. Now, where is the evidence of this? Well, as I mentioned, from a speak up perspective, we poll students, teachers, principals, administrators, every year. And so I look for the evidence coming from the classroom directly. So that's what we're going to set the table for our conversation with. I'm going to share with you some of the brand new research findings. No one has seen any of this data. It's preliminary, but I thought it would be a great way to start our conversation today. So the first one is, and this is not going to come as any surprise to anybody who's here with us, we have a lot more access, our students do and our teachers do, to technology than they ever had before. In fact, 91% of teachers during this school year have shared with us that their students have one-to-one -one access to devices in their classroom. Just to give you a perspective, as I said, I went into the archives, the Speak Up Research archives. Only 17% of teachers said the same thing in 2018-19. So what a heroic, a Herculean leap in terms of the technology investments that have been made. Also noteworthy that 42% of teachers say, in fact, their students can take those devices home. We also see evidence of this change when we look at how teachers are reporting that they're using different types of digital tools and resources. So again, a comparative um, looking at online curriculum, we have more of that. Looking at using videos, definitely more there. Software and apps that support students' skill, and all this is on a weekly basis. And also online and digital games have increased. That's very interesting to understand the what, or what I talk about as the nouns of uh, classroom technology usage. What I really want to focus us on are the verbs and how has this changed the impact, uh, changed the perception of teachers on the impact of technology. Now for this, I dug a little bit further into those archives and went back 10 years because I wanted to see if we actually are changing the conversation for teachers in particular around the role of technology. 
Now we also ask teachers, so what's the impact on your students? We definitely ask those questions. I like to look at where teachers see a value proposition themselves. How is it helping them be more effective? And so that's where I picked uh, these particular points to share with you. The number one way that teachers are saying that technology is impacting their practice is that they are better able to personalize instruction. Nearly two thirds of teachers now believe that to be true. Interestingly, 10 years ago, we weren't even thinking about personalizing instruction. So I have no corresponding data on that. However, on some of the other things we do, and that's also interesting to look at, we have often talked about the fact, um, particularly those of us that have been in this ed tech space for a while, about how the use of technology can help teachers create more interactive, relevant lessons, lessons that connect to the real world, lessons where students are not just consumers, but actually collaborators or content creators. And in fact, 60% of teachers now say that's true for them. 10 years ago, only a quarter of teachers were even thinking about that. The other one is this idea of differentiating instruction. 58% of teachers say that's true for them today. Only, again, less than a quarter said that back in 2012, 2013. And this one is particularly poignant for me. The fact that teachers now believe that through the use of technology, they have a greater awareness of what their students' academic needs are, where they need remediation, where they need further support, maybe where they need some differentiation. Way back 10 years ago, only 18% of our teachers were thinking that was true. We now see 43% of teachers say that's true. I also really like these two other statistics in terms of the changes in teachers' perception about the impact of technology. 21% now say that they feel more connected with their students because of technology access. That's really interesting. Students tell us that they are emailing with their teachers more than ever before. And I know for some of you, this is gonna hurt, they're texting with their teachers as well. Now I know for some policy in some school districts, that's not policy approved, but students do report that. And then I love this second one as well. One third of teachers say they feel more connected with the parents of their students now because of technology. These are all definitely impacts post pandemic. But let's get into what teachers need to be able to get to that next level. And in fact, we ask teachers every year about their level of comfort with many of these new practices that we generally think about as being more transformative within the education process. And the reality is that we still only have about a third of teachers that say they are very comfortable with practices such as how to differentiate instruction, how to facilitate student collaboration, how to use digital data to inform instruction, and how to, and how to uh, effectively allow students to have choice in learning. Only 35% of our teachers feel very comfortable doing that. We also ask teachers, so what do you need to be able to leverage technology more effectively? And I think it's really important, though I, I'm going to want to hear from both Lou and Tara on this, to understand what do teachers say they need? 
You know, quite often, I think from an administrative leadership standpoint, we say, oh, they're going to need more professional development. That may very well be true. But in fact, we now see teachers are telling us that they are looking for curated sets of resources organized by grade level and content area. They're looking for a list of recommended digital resources approved by their districts, tools that help them organize all the digital assets that they have and real world, real practice information about classroom management strategies. The training, the professional learning part of it is still important, but it's noteworthy that the teacher's valuation about technology has changed and thus what they need has also changed. It's not just about how do I use uh, Kahoot in my classroom. It's more about how do I put together a true digital learning environment? Now, it's also noteworthy, I think, that since we started off talking a little bit about equity, to note that 59% of our teachers still say that they are worried that their students do not have access to technology outside of school. Now, I know that may come as a surprise to many folks. We made such a huge investment in putting uh, devices into the hands of students, and you saw that 42% of teachers say their students can take these devices home. But this idea of the digital access divide, what some people call the homework gap, is still very real and definitely impacting students all across the country. In fact, 13% of middle school and high school students say that they're impacted by the homework gap. There are times when they cannot do homework or school assignments because they either don't have access to technology outside of school or it isn't convenient or they're sharing that access with their siblings and so it is creating contention. And speaking about going back into the archives, I went way back on this one, folks. I think this is really fascinating. In 2004, we asked teachers what they needed to use technology more effectively, 2004. And the number one answer that came up from teachers in 2004 was schools need to have fast wireless internet access throughout with devices that provide network access from home or school for students. Long before FCC Commissioner Jessica Rosenworcel termed the phrase homework gap, our teachers were talking about the homework gap. They already had an idea of where they wanted to go in terms of supporting student learning. And so this was their demand point in 2004. We've made progress we still have more work to do. And then finally, from the Speak Up Data Research uh, table setting that I'm doing, every year we ask students, teachers, we also ask parents this question, we ask principals, we ask district administrators, district technology leaders, as you're thinking about the school of the future, what types of digital tools do you think are gonna have the greatest impact on learning? And so once again, brand new data from this year, I pulled forward for you middle school and high school student data, as well as teacher data. And I think it's really interesting. You know, a couple of years ago, teachers were like, oh, students having devices in the class, that would be a nice to have, not an imperative. 90% of teachers now say that they believe every student having a device is an imperative for supporting effective learning.
They're also 63% uh, say online textbooks and curriculum. Teachers are also supportive of tools that support student collaboration, students creating media projects, student and teacher communication. This idea around the tools is really important because we know from the student perspective that technology is first and foremost a utility, not an engagement tool. It's a utility for doing the work that they think is important for learning. So the fact that the teachers and the students are on the same page regarding many of these digital tools that support collaborations, media development, and enhanced communications is super important. Okay, folks, what I want to do now is I want to shift gears a little bit. Once again, I have Dr. Lou Young with us from the University of Kentucky College of Education. Tara Grant is here. She's the principal at Radford High School in Virginia. Nice to have you here also, Tara. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to jumpstart a couple of questions, throw them out on the table. We'll have a conversation. Again, folks, you can use the chat to give some of your input. I love that. Or if you've got a specific question for our panelists, you can put that into the question section, again, up on that top bar. So let me start off with my first big question here. And either one of you could answer however you want to, however you want to address this. Um, ah, I think, I think Lou is pointing to Tara. <laughs> um, why is it important for us to include the ideas, the views, the aspirations of students and teachers into conversations we're having at the school level or the district level or at the state level about the future of education? Why is that important? Well, we don't know what they're thinking. We don't know what they need. So we need to talk to them. We need to create relationships with our students before anything happens. We need to build trust there. We, they need to know that we love them. I mean, school is love. That's what it is. That's my mantra. Um, and same for teachers. We have to have uh, great relationships with teachers. Teachers and students have to have those relationships. Teachers have to spend time learning their interests and what motivates them. You know, I'm at high school. I was uh, 20 years elementary. This is my second year in high school. And really, you know, that's a whole different game when you have kids for 50 minutes a day versus all day long, all year. So there's the whole spectrum there. Um, you really have to make, I think, more effort when you're a secondary teacher as far as um, showing that for games and plays and and letting them know that you are invested in their life for them to trust you. And, you know, we need buy-in for the things that we're doing. So we want uh, kids and teachers to have a voice, uh, to be able to make decisions. You know, we know that there's some non-negotiables, right? As a leader, you know, you're hired to problem solve and sometimes you just have to make decisions. But when available, it's wonderful to have teacher input uh, because that can drive the bus, right? Uh, we want the bus of the school. We want, honestly, our teachers to be leaders in our classroom, in the school, in the community. So we want them um, helping move that bus. Um, same with students. Uh, students can be leaders in their, in their learning. Um, again, you've got to empower the kids with confidence and sometimes Sometimes that's really hard. A lot of kids are not born with that. So you have to create opportunities for that. Um, 
trying to think of, I, I did write down some notes here. Um, you know, really, I think it's important to, to know the kids and get, let them uh, talk about what they need because, you know, we are, we're teaching and facilitating and creating learning opportunities for jobs that aren't even created yet. You know, we, we are all, anybody on this call, I don't want to offend anybody, um, but we're behind these kids. Like, they're smarter than us with technology, right? They and are. then we have all this chat GPT stuff, you know, coming along. And, and it, with me, I have Bev Edwards. She is uh, an ITRT here. She's taught at all levels here in this district. She also teaches cybersecurity coding. Coding and data science. Data science. So she's, she's got the whole gamut here. Um, so um, we're a small district, so we really want to know what kids want to do and how we can get them there. Um, and that would also drive like our curriculum. Um, we have some grow your own cohorts here because we don't have a lot of CTE um, opportunities that bigger districts do. So this year we've created a, a teacher cohort because we're seeing less and less interns from Radford University. We used to have a bunch. And they're like four now. So it's like we all know that a lot of people aren't running to be teachers and teachers are the most wonderful people in the world that create others, other jobs. So um, we're trying to grow our own, give them opportunities to um, do job shadowing and things like that in our other schools in the district um, and just pr provide some other learning opportunities. We did the same thing with criminal justice and information technology. We are working with Rapper University and New River Community College on some opportunities there. Um, that's a, that's a lot, Tara. That's a lot. That's a lot. Yeah, do you have anything that you want to say? Um, we're going to start a Teachers for Tomorrow program next year. Mm -hmm. And just having all of our parents and our students act, interacting with us is important in a small community like we are because we do need them to want to stay in this area and work with us and do the things that we need. So anytime that we're talking about anything like this, yeah, our, our goal is invest in our community. So everything we do really, that's our end game. Um, you know, our demographics here have changed a lot over the last seven to nine years and now we're high poverty. Um, the enrollment at our local university, RAF University, has declined drastically, so that opens up some housing issues, which brings in some other things, um, which is really hard on schools, so we have to figure that out. Um, you know, we have students, I might be getting off on a different tangent here, but we have students, um, you know, high school, we have a lot of high schoolers working in our community, and some of them um, started working during the pandemic, and then they, we were told, you know, we told them to come back to school for seven hours a day. That didn't really work because they're actually supporting their family. And um, over the last year, we have some seniors that have become homeless. And so they're working and, you know, school's like not the first priority. And we really want to work with them to develop, um, you know, kind of a differentiated um, in instructional plan. You know, they're doing some things online or they're coming in late if they're working late at night the night before. So we want all our kids to be successful and graduate again to invest in, in, in our community. I love all of that, Tara. You know, you, you had quite a few, I don't know if you're watching the chat, but you have quite a few people um, uh, giving you shout outs for the school is love. 
So that's now become a, a theme. And then also teachers as leaders and students as leaders in their own education, as well as investing in your community. So thank you so much for uh, starting us off with all those great value propositions. Um, and we know, and you were, your comments totally underscored this, you know, things have changed in communities. Let's be honest, you know, uh, whether it is the environments or the economy of different communities, um, you noted the fact that we have a severe decline in students going into teaching. There's lots of things that have changed. And I'm just so impressed that you have adapted to these changes with all the programs that you're offering. So thank you so much for being here with us to share some of those insights. Now, let me flip it over to Dr. Young here, who brings, again, former superintendent, uh, working now with the University of Kentucky and also as the board chair for the State Board of Education in Kentucky. So, Lou, what are your thoughts about why it's important to be listening to students and teachers? Yeah, so thank you. First, huge Congratulations to Tara and to Bev for the work they're doing at Radford. Um, I love what I heard them talk about in terms of the hard side and the soft side of listening to students and adults. There's a hard technical side. Uh, Bev's a data analyst. She knows that she gets information directly from the source that she needs to make decisions about the school. Uh, at the same time, you heard that Tara is um, one of those leaders who uh, wears her heart on her sleeves on behalf of the children she serves. And that relational aspect um, cannot ever be underestimated. Julie, your own data from uh, the new results from Speak Up resonate with what we're hearing in Kentucky about the outcry from young people and adults in our system who are experiencing mental health uh, needs greater than certainly in my 40 years in education. So I think that's really important. Um, voice is, um, it's a metaphor for representation. It's, it's, a, it's a, a real word for speaking up and telling your story and giving information, but it's also a metaphor for representation. And that's why it's so important in these conversations. I think a lot about, um, I think we're way past the era of reforming schools at least I hope so. We've been through two and a half decades of top-down reform, and we that hasn't gotten us anywhere, really. Um, so my team and I talk about reimagining schools, not reforming them. And so in that reimagination process, I often think about design. And when we design, we design with the user in mind, whether that's in corporate America, uh, in global industry, or frankly, it should be in every industry. We need to design with the user in mind. So when Tara and um, Bev and everybody who uses Speak Up Data, they're gathering information around the design process. So if we're to reimagine schools, then we need to uh, legitimize and value the voice of all of the users, and that includes the adults in the setting. So when I think about them talking about uh, the need for professional development, Julie, you touched on that several times, uh, that needs to be equally as personalized and relevant and authentic for adult um, learners as it as we would hope it is for the younger learners in our P-12 schools as well. So I think there's a lot to be unpacked in this notion of why voice really matters. I would say it's we're past the point of thinking it's um, a good strategy uh, to the point that it is an essential way that we think about the work. It is a mindset. Uh, listening to students, uh, listening to adults in the, in the system, 
and then legitimately, authentically responding to what we learn. Because um, asking the questions and not responding to them, quite frankly, is worse than asking at all, than not asking at all, right? So we have to be prepared uh, to hear what we will hear and then to be able to respond to that. You're absolutely right, Lou. You, you are um, probably reading my notes because uh, quite often in having conversations with school leaders, with district leaders, I will say to them, you know, um, it's a three-part process. So first, before you go out and ask your stakeholders, your students, your teachers, your parents, your administrators for their feedback, tell them why you're asking. Why are you asking this? Are you asking it because of curiosity or are you asking it because you want to have them part of a decision-making process and you want to have it inform what you're going to do? So you tell them that up front. You then engage them in sharing their best authentic selves. And we hope that the Speak Up surveys provide plenty of opportunity for teachers to uh, feel comfortable and feel safe. Same with students, same with parents in terms of of sharing their views. And then the third part or the third leg of that stool is to then go back to the community that you just polled and share with them what you learned. Now, you don't have to share everything, but share something that meant something to you. So did we learn that teachers were interested in X, Y, and Z from a professional development standpoint? Did we learn that parents were satisfied or dissatisfied with their communication vehicles that the district is using to engage them in, in uh, conversations? What did we learn from students about what their aspirations are for the future of education? So it's got it. You have to actually take all three parts and do those effectively. Remember at the top of our conversation, I said, it can be an asset if used effectively. What I saw over the last couple of years increasingly is that we are spending an awful lot of time going out and polling our stakeholders, but not translating any of that into action. And in fact, our stakeholders then collectively are saying, why am I bothering? because they don't see where the value is. And that's where I will hear from superintendents, from principals, oh, we have so much survey fatigue. Well, that's because we haven't necessarily been doing it well to be able to eliminate that survey fatigue. So as you said, Lou, it's a, it's a loop for a reason because we wanna have that be an active channel for feedback. All right, folks, I got another question for you. So, um, any sort of examples you might possibly have of what has been the impact when we have listened to students or teachers or even parents or administrators? Can you think of something that either has been uh, your work or work that you know of where the voices, the authentic voices, were translated into some sort of actionable knowledge? So for us in Kentucky, um, I mentioned our commissioner's listening tour. We um, heard from hundreds, in fact, more than a thousand Kentucky citizens about what they wanted for the future of teaching and learning in our state. And one of the things that we heard pretty consistently was um, a, a pretty mutual dissatisfaction with state assessment and accountability. The idea that we're 
testing kids too much, that we're practicing the tests too much, that when the tests come back, they have little or no value or relevance to the people whose results they are, students, families, certainly school folks. And so we have taken that information and um, folded it into one of our three big ideas in Kentucky is um, innovation, especially as it comes to state assessment and accountability and looking at ways that we can present a new um, system to the feds for consideration and what that might look like if assessment and accountability became more personalized, more localized, more relevant to the community, uh, what it would look like uh, attached to a portrait of a learner where we articulate the agreed upon skills and dispositions that we want for every graduate of Radford High School, uh, for example, and then um, how we might parlay that thinking about um, more valuable uh, testing system with more value proposition into state level policy that would then um, hopefully direct learning in our schools in a way that is much more um, valuable, overall relevant to the workforce, to personal satisfaction and to help. So when you hear this consistent drumbeat that what we're doing isn't working for the people that we were supposed to be accountable to, then you just have to stop and think, what can we do differently? How can we redesign? How can we reimagine that experience in such a way that it does add value? That's a great example, Lou. And I love the whole um, uh, listening tour concept, obviously. Uh, and the portrait of a learner, the portrait of a graduate, you and I were actually talking about that just yesterday in terms of how that's really gained some great momentum and is a wonderful way to tie the needs of the community into the goals of the school so that they are in alignment with one another. I just wanted to add to the portrait of a graduate. Um, we've done some front-loading work with um, a committee of all of our schools. We have four schools here in our district, along with um, some different partners, trying to lay the groundwork to set up some information to get from our stakeholders with our students, our staff, and our community on kind of shaping that. So we look forward to doing that. To me, that is very exciting. And again, our end game is investing in the community. Um, an example of listening to stakeholders, uh, teachers, um, recently, over the last few years with COVID and everything, we've had different schedules which have been um, hard um, with uh, different different schools and um, just trying to get all the things in, including uh, teacher planning time. You know, elementary teachers haven't had as much planning as secondary, and so that's kind of came up this year. And um, so we've surveyed several times and with the community. The community is very much um, against early early. Let's see late arrivals for for because they want consistency every morning you know so they can work you know a lot of single family homes and and they can't afford daycare and so really taking in their uh, situations and listening to them it did change our schedule and it has over the last few years so we're, we're finding out tonight at the school board what what we came up with um, and we've been hybrid, some different hybrid options the last couple of years in secondary. And it looks like we're going back to the seven period day. And that's coming from staff. Uh-huh. Uh -huh. Yeah. News so, to bad. You know, it's kind of like 
you know, we have CTE programs and things that could really benefit from the hybrid longer blocks here in the high school. So, you know, not everybody wins when you change the schedule, but. Um, and being a small school, it's hard to do hybrid, a full hybrid yeah. or a, a, a full block schedule. So yeah. um, it's just hard to make that work, but that's going to be hard on us in CTE for sure. Yeah. Really interesting. And, and you're right. Sarah and Beth, kind of going back to where we started, we're all adapting all the time. We're making adaptations. We're taking in this information, and Speak Up helps you do that, taking in that information and then trying to see what works best for our community, for our stakeholders. And that, that's hard work. That's really hard work, um, but important work because we have to be moving forward. We have to be thinking about what the future looks like. Now, folks, I posted in the chat, if anyone has some questions, please put them in the question mark area up at the top and we'll address those. I have one more question before I start doing, uh, getting over to our question side of things. One more question here for my, um, my esteemed panelists. Um, so what needs to happen to make this type of an environment where we're actually listening to stakeholders, where we're valuing, respecting their point of view, whether it's teachers or students or even parents, how do we make that a reality for all schools how do, or all communities? What needs to happen, whether it's a mindset change or a logistical change, whatever it might be, what needs to happen so that the environments that we're talking about here are uh, rich for all K-12 stakeholders. So for us, you know, what uh, Dr. Young said, the deep listening, um, you know, that is not something you can just turn on and turn off. You know, I've been in this district for seven years. I was my high school kids that are here now. I was their elementary principal for four years. You know, so I've kind of followed them. And so I have relationships with families and I love them. You know, I do. But I can also be very upfront and blunt when needed. And I think they respect that. Um, but it's the trust factor. It is listening. It is taking into consideration when you can help them and change things. You do that. Um, you know, all parents want their kids to be happy, period, bottom line. Um, so when you can make that happen, if you have to change the rules or tweak some things and you can do it, say yes. Um, and that really builds trust. I love, that. I love the focus. Yeah. I love that. I focus love that, Tara. Yeah. My answer was going to be equally as squishy and I love squishy answers to that question. Um, trust is a, an amazing notion to build into the culture of a school and then the way you do business and the United we learn efforts. We have agreed on four. Um, I see that my feed is interrupted. Julie, can you hear me? Yeah, you're back, Lou. Okay. Uh, we have agreed on four guiding principles um, that we will live by in the initiative. And so while trust isn't explicitly one of them, our four are a commitment to empathy, to inclusion, to co-creation, and to reciprocity. And so what we're finding in this work is that um, those cultural underpinnings are making a real difference in the way the work unfolds. And because we've committed to those four, trust really is an outcome of that. So I think that um, 
I would just add a hearty amen to uh, Tara's comment. So when you think about leadership in an environment where uh, student voice and teacher voice are paramount, are essential to the work, then I think you begin to see um, a culture where a very human-centered, humane culture, a place where people want to be. And I'm optimistic enough to believe that when you build that kind of school culture, um, teachers are knocking down the doors. Can I please teach here? Uh, this is where I want to be. So um, that's those are big shifts. That's part of the reimagination process that I believe so strongly in. Lou, I'm so glad that you brought into this conversation this idea of culture, because we know how absolutely critical that is. Um, I love that particular saying, the culture eats strategy for breakfast, lunch, and dinner <laughs> every day of the week. And so understanding the cultural components of what we're doing is absolutely uh, essential and imperative. I've got some supplemental information I want to share with the folks, and then we'll get into a couple different questions. But definitely many thanks to Lou, Tara, and Bev for sharing your insights, your wisdom, your ideas with us. I know that our audience ate it all up, and they were, they were doing, as I instructed, a very nice, strong uh, chat culture while we were talking. Uh, so just a couple things, folks. Remember, I mentioned about the Speak Up Research Project. You had an opportunity to see some of those research findings. Now, everything that I shared with you there, which is just a snippet of our data, is the type of data that if you participate in the Speak Up Research Project with your school, with your district, you get back from us all of your local data as well as state and national comparative data. And once again, this is our nonprofit mission. There is no cost here. We're not selling anything. So think about that both in terms of participating uh, in Speak Up to the future. Uh, you also can find on our website a number of those reports and infographics and briefings that I mentioned. Please also consider tomorrow.org a resource for you to be able to access that information. Uh, so once again, it's National Speak Up Day for America's Teachers right here in the middle of Teacher Appreciation Week, calling all teachers to share your views, your aspirations, your dreams, the things that cause your heart to hurt a little bit maybe, where you need some help through the Speak Up survey today and through the end of the week. In addition, we of course want to encourage school and district leaders to jump on the Speak Up bandwagon, to be able to have their stakeholders complete the Speak Up survey, and then for us to be able to work with you to make that information actionable for you. I also wanted to make a special announcement that later on this month, we're gonna be opening up what we call National Speak Up for District Administrators. These are a set of special Speak Up surveys for the folks that work in the district office, the central office. There's a survey for district administrators, technology leaders, communications, public information leaders. And then for the last three years, we've been doing a special focus survey on K-12 cybersecurity. So please keep that in mind as well. Uh, you can also start planning for Speak Up 23-24. Start thinking about how will this data inform my plans, my reimagining of education. What's that connection? And there's more information here as well for you.
Now, let me take a look at some of the questions that have come in really quickly here, Lou. Um, uh, two questions that came in. One is, as a teacher, how can I get my school involved in Speak Up? And then the second one is, what can I share with my principal? Who can my principal talk to about Speak Up? So I'll answer those quickly. And then, Lou, I have a follow-on question for you. So as a teacher, if you want to uh, get your school involved in Speak Up, you can start with just having your class participate in Speak Up, having your students, even your students' parents. That's a great way to sort of pilot the Speak Up process. But it also makes sense to be able to start talking with your principal or your district leaders about the value of that resulting data. Now, the surveys are short. They shouldn't take you more than 12 to 15 minutes. We don't ask any identifying information. So there is nothing to be concerned about regarding data privacy or confidentiality. And again, all of the data is your data. We're just the reciprocal uh, or the um, facilitator for getting that done to you, uh, getting that done with you. Um, now, who can talk to your principal? Well, Michelle Green is here on our uh, chat. You've probably seen she's been posting some things. You can definitely talk to Michelle. Michelle's happy to talk to your principal or to district leaders. I do the same. I do cabinet presentations all the time. So Lou, um, just a quick question for you. What do you think from, and you've been involved with Speak Up for many years, if uh, someone was talking to a superintendent, uh, thinking back to your superintendent days, what would you tell them about why participating in Speak Up is valuable? Uh, yeah, I think it is. Um, it is as simple as this is a uh, free, easy tool to do a lot more than you could do simply on your own. Um, you would you go into a pool that is has nationally normed information that you can use, and then you mine these data at the district level and at the national level to help you move the work forward. So it is really an invaluable um, goldmine, if I keep that metaphor going, of information that can be used back at the district level. You mentioned survey fatigue earlier. Um, a savvy superintendent with somebody like Bev on their team is going to say, now we've got this information, let's conduct some focus groups back at home. Let's uh, triangulate these data with other information that we have and then share that broadly with the community, engage everybody in the conversation and then do another round of surveys, commit to that um, cycle of learning from your stakeholders. And so uh, I'm a big fan and a big proponent. My own district where I was superintendent, where I currently live, is a speak up district. And so always happy to hear that they're using that information for the good of their learners. Thank you so much, Lou. And a shout out to our good friends in Jessamine in the Lexington area. It's great to have them as part of our speak up family. I want to thank my good friend, Lou Young, for sharing her insights with us. Thank you so much, Lou. Again, a shout out. Oh, thank you. You too. Hearts to you. Um, to Tara Grant and Bev from Radford High School, giving us that high school perspective. Absolutely love that.
and to all of us that participate in the uh, chat culture that we had going on, the professional learning that comes from that. A big round of applause for my friends at EdWeb for hosting this today. And thank you to all of our teachers. Happy Teacher Appreciation Week. We are happy to help facilitate Speak Up Day for America's teachers. Thanks so much, folks. It was great having you here. Bye-bye. We hope you enjoyed this EdWeb podcast. If you'd like to receive a CE certificate, you must watch the video recording. Recordings and quizzes can be found in the EdWebinar archives. Please visit home.edweb.net slash podcasts for more information.